0: All right. So in Isaiah 40, what are the four things that Messiah will do for his people like a shepherd? We're going to, I'm going to try to write them on the board. Say the whole, the whole first one as, as a whole sentence. And the second. And the third. That seems like an extra additional layer of imagery, doesn't it? I and mean, then the whole verse is unnecessary, right? Like the whole verse is like, Hold them, you said, close to his heart. Anybody else want to tackle me and uh, steal this marker and make it stop squeaking? Or is it just me? <laughs> and the fourth one. Now, this is a, not a theological question. Gently lead. So hold, lead, those with young. Why does this verse make me want to cry? It's so tender. This, you know, not all shepherds are like this. There's shepherds in, in the Bible. Shepherds are a metaphor for leadership. Right? The kings and the prophets and the priests are often, God compares them to shepherds. And so this is talking about who is God's leader? The one that God's going to send. This is the this is the, the character of the way he leads his people. And I've heard people in the past say, ah, oh, why do we have to be sheep? I want, I will, I prefer the lion theme. I prefer. I understand that, yes, the the righteous are as bold as lions, yes, we're an army, right? There's lots of metaphors throughout Scripture that that are more aggressive, that are more masculine. But somewhere inside all of us, we also have a side of us that wants someone to take care of us. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, you need love. And this image, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. So Jesus gives his his people the good food and the good water. I'm thinking of the passage in Ezekiel. I think it's Ezekiel 34, talking about the the evil shepherds over over God's people, the priests and Levites, and they just feed themselves. And they they muddy the waters They don't genuinely love God's people. They don't feed them the word, the truth. They don't give them the good stuff. They're not really there for the people to thrive. They're about themselves. But Jesus, he's not about himself. He's not selfish. He's about you. He is about your thriving. He is about your good. He's not a hard-hearted king that's unfeeling. He's tender-hearted. He's selfless. He lays his life down for the sheep. He carries the lambs in his arms. Does this not remind you of the verse where Jesus says, a smoldering wick, or it's said about Jesus, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, and a bruised reed he will not break? That he understands your strength, he understands your limitations, and there's sometimes where he says, you can do it, and then there's other times he picks you up in his arms and carries you. So he feeds his people. He carries the lambs. And then why this extra detail? Why holds them close to his heart? Security, because he loves us. That's how close we are to him. He holds them close to his heart. This picture of carrying the lambs, of holding them, this really reminds me of Luke 15. Obviously, I'm going to be thinking, I'm reading through Luke, so everything is referenced back to Luke. Jesus is trying to describe who the Father is and why he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors and the churchy people are mad at him because that's how it goes. And to explain why Jesus is doing what he's doing, one of the stories he tells is a story about a shepherd who loses his sheep. And he leaves the 99 that are are at home in the stall and he gives himself no sleep. He'll go out in the middle of the night, in the middle of the cold, in the middle of the rain, and he'll put himself in harm's way until he finds that sheep. It doesn't say he goes out and he looks for it for a while. It says he goes out... Until He searches until he finds it. He gives himself no rest until he finds that sheep. Then once he has found it, what does it say? Anyone remember what Luke 15 says? Once he finds that lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it home. And then, then, all three of these stories in Luke 15 say this. Then he calls together all his friends and neighbors and throws a party and says, Rejoice with me, because i found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven with the angels of God over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who don't need to repent. He carries the sheep home. I don't know if you have someone on your heart who is the lost sheep who you need Jesus to search for, or if you were that sheep, and it's still sweet in that way, but that's who Jesus is. That's the kind of leader he is. And that third picture, he gently leads those with young. Man, it kind of just instantly puts me back in like the old Western movies where you have a a parade of vulnerable families. These are not explorers well-armed. These are husbands and fathers, and families and mothers and children, totally vulnerable as they're traveling along, and that's a different. Uh, that's a you, you have to lead that group differently than you would lead a group of young, fit soldiers, wouldn't you? Because you have extra precious cargo that's extra fragile and extra vulnerable, and so you have to account for that in the way that you exercise leadership. And he does. He gently leads those who have young. That is our God. That is our Jesus. This this triggered for me so much nostalgia this week. Kate put this verse in the readings for the youth, the Lenten readings for the youth, and it captured me then. And I said, oh man, that verse hits me so hard. I don't know why it hits me so hard this year. Maybe it's because I feel this church has gone through so much. And so many of so many of you, we've been walking through really hard stuff, physical stuff, emotional stuff, family stuff, personal stuff. And this is, this is the Jesus you have. This is the shepherd you have who tenderly cares for you and carries you in his arms and holds you close to his heart, who chases after the strays and, and when he finds us, carries us home and he welcomes the sinners. And that, everything that I sang about this morning, you know, the, the widow and the orphan and the broken, This is just who he's for, and how he is, and what he does. This is the the surprising nature of our king that we kind of expected, they expected. The great king's going to come, he'll come to Jerusalem, and he'll reign, and he'll be so powerful and impressive. Instead, he came to a poor couple, you know, out in Bethlehem. He wasn't, wasn't special. He wasn't somebody. He didn't go to any of the theological schools. He didn't belong to any of the notable families. and It's just a surprise. The whole thing is a surprise. God in disguise from moment one and on. And then Jesus, when he starts preaching, he starts explaining that the kingdom is upside down, that there will be surprises, that many who are now first will be last when his kingdom comes. Those who are thought of as great people will be exposed as not great people, and those who are overlooked as nobodies are the most important somebodies in the kingdom. And that's how he was. And notice his his final report. Notice the final exam of Jesus. His final exam is the sheep and the goats of Matthew twenty five. Do you know what I mean by final exam? Like in your, when you're in a class, the bulk of your grade is dependent on the final exam. And uh, it's a little stressful. And Jesus' final exam says, uh, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. That's the final exam, that he is in disguise. He's not measuring our prayer life so much. He's not measuring our theology so much. He's not measuring how hard we sing. He's measuring how we treat people. Specifically, he shows up in disguise, and how we respond to the regular people around us is what he then says. That's how you treated me. And so both the righteous and the wicked, both the sheep and the goats, say the same thing. They ask the same question. You remember what it is? Lord when? They both ask the same, they both ask the same exact question. Lord when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or in prison? When? When did we do these things for you? Or when didn't we do these things for you? And he says, I was in disguise. See, when he came, he was in disguise. Or was he? If Jesus is exactly what God looks like, then maybe he wasn't so much in disguise as... Our expectations were so wrong, we didn't recognize truth and life and love when it stood among us. And we actually can't recognize it without help. Remember that? Jesus said that to Peter. Who do the people say that I am? Oh, well, some say you're a great prophet. Some say you're Moses. Some say you're Elijah reincarnated. And you go, what? He says, cool. But who do you say that I am? Which is the real question, right? Who do you say that I am? Wow, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the coming king. You're the one all the nations have been hoping for. You're the desire of every heart, though they don't know it. You know why people get so freaked out and, and, and interested in politics? They want a king. We're hardwired to yearn for Jesus. We just put it on our human candidates and then try to have them carry that weight, which they can't. It never works. But people yearn for Jesus. They just don't know it. They yearn for his leadership, his rule, his care, his protection, his presence, his comfort, his identity, his purpose, his acceptance, his forgiveness. They yearn for the security of assurance. They yearn to know who they are and whose they are and where the heck they're going in life. They want Jesus. They just don't know it. That's why he's called the desire of nations. So when we call him Messiah, that's what we're talking about. Everybody wants a Messiah, even if they don't know they do. So who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the Messiah. You're Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You don't know that because you're smart, You don't know that because you're clever. You don't know that because you're diligent. You don't know that because you're disciplined. Peter, you only know that because my Father revealed it to you. You recognize me because work's been done on you. Yeah. So this week, I was all sentimental. This is the most Christmassy I have felt in years. I don't know if... Pandemic has made me more grateful for family and friends and friendships and people. I heard somebody else say that their husband is a whole lot nicer now that this thing's going on because it's caused him to take a step back. I said, really? Yep. What do you mean? I don't know. I said, what is with you? Why are you being nice? He said, man, with all that's going on in the world, I just took a step back and said, why am I mad every day? What am I so mad about? That's not helping me, it's not. Man, and I keep trying to figure this out, like how do you live the way Jesus lived? Because it seemed to me that anyone who made eye contact with Jesus, he was all the way present in the moment. I don't think you ever looked at Jesus and he was so worried and upset about other things that he wasn't really with you. You know what I'm talking about? Like he was always available in this moment for the spirit, the eternal spirit to flow through him. I don't think he was living a different way in time than he was living before he came in flesh. The way he was living in eternity past, I think that's the way he was living on earth. Because he's the I am, not the I will be. Well, that's silly, but still going with it. (laughs) And I want to live in that life. I feel like I'm off track. Get on track. Christmas. So I've been real sentimental this week, and I don't know why. And I started thinking about this verse and started... Remembering this song that, that we sang when I was a kid and my kids, my parents were always at, there was a Christmas play. And, and in the Christmas play, it was like a musical. So the narrator would say some things and then they would go straight back into the music, right? Then the narrator would say more things. And I remember my dad was one of the, uh, one of the three shepherds that were freaked out, totally scared. Oh my goodness. And they had all these, but there was this song too. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. I'm a little kid. I remember this. How does that work? How does music get in there? And he will carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. I still remember that. So I, call, I contact my mom. What is that song? What is that musical? Didn't we do it? Yeah, we did it. No, 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 not that one. And then I find it. And, the, and it, it, somebody ripped an old record, vinyl. Somebody took a vinyl record and somehow plugged it into the thing and made it digital and uploaded it to YouTube so now I can listen to it for free. And it still has the crackles on it in the silent. The vinyl crackles and the, and the sound is just lower quality. And I love that for some reason. It's like, why would I love that? But I do. And I'm like, mom, I found it. And I sent it to my sisters. And I said, you're welcome in advance. And then my big sister sends back, what? As soon as the opening notes hit, all these tingles of sentimental, like, wow. This is a total ramble. I love the longing, the yearning, the yearning, the longing for Jesus' kingship. The nature of his kingship, the nature of his rule. You know, the other day, we were, somebody was talking to me and they were kind of freaked out with eschatology stuff. You know, because the mindset was, the world's going to get worse and worse and worse and everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. I don't know what that phrase means. It's a very popular phrase. But that's not the, vi- the biblical vision is not everything getting terrible. Oh my goodness, the end is coming. The biblical vision is that Jesus is coming is the best thing that could ever happen. And we long for him to return. Yes, he will visit judgment on sin, but his return will be deliverance for his people. And his return is called the happy hope. And somebody could say, but yeah, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I know that. But there's something that gets twisted up in our heads when we get scared of the end times instead of excited that we're living in the end times. It's the happy hope. And they longed for him to come. Then he came, violated all their expectations. How many times have you thought that? We want Jesus to come. What if he violates all my understanding, just like he violated all their understanding? Well, he's not supposed to show up in Bethlehem. He's not supposed to do it this way. I got my Bible verses here. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. You think he'll violate my understanding like he violated their understanding when he comes? You think I'll be maybe as surprised as they were? I love you guys. I think the reason that verse seems so precious to me this year is because I'm, I'm seeing Jesus as your shepherd with all that y'all are walking through. And he's so faithful. He's so trustworthy. He's exactly the kind of, he's exactly the kind of leader that you would hope you would have, but you wouldn't dare hope to ever have one that good because that just seems unrealistic. Except you do. You know, you actually have the Psalm 23 shepherd. Look at what the first verse of Psalm 23 is. I'm really trying to give this to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I remember an adult with mental impairment came to my seminary professor and said, but I do want, I want him. And the professor was like, oh, oh, wait, no, 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 you're misinterpreting. Let me tell you what it means. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing.